Hello and welcome to NDIS Know How, a podcast series that asks how can parents get the very best NDIS plan and sufficient funding to support their kid. This podcast is written and made by me, Melanie Dimmitt, the author of Special, and powered by HireUp, a disability support platform connecting families like mine with top-notch support workers. Today, I'm speaking with a fellow podcast host who recently launched the Yarning Disability Podcast with the First People's Disability Network. My name is Bernard Namok, Jr. I come from Thursday Island uh, up in the Torres Straits and my family are from St. Paul's and Bardu and also Darnley on my mum's side. And um, yeah, my dad also designed the Torres Strait Island flag back in 1992. Yarning Disability is the first ever podcast dedicated to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people living with disabilities. Its host, my guest today, lives in Cairns and is currently working with the First People's Disability Network as a community advocate. Prior to this, Bernard worked in broadcasting for the better part of two decades, getting his start in radio straight out of school on Thursday Island in the Torres Strait. Bernard left the island to study in the Northern Territory, where he lived for 17 years and hosted a popular morning radio show. Mornings with Bullaby. Bullaby was my radio radio name. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was a popular show up and down and we broadcasted out to all the remote communities across the top end. Uh, so from Port Keats all the way to Borolula uh, and up and down. So yeah, 30 remote communities. And I also did a, a radio documentary as well and also a film documentary in honor of my dad for the 25th anniversary of the Torres Strait flag back in 2017. You now have this fantastic new podcast, Yarning Disability, which is through your work with First People's Disability Network. Why is now the Mm. right time for this podcast? Well, it was like a group idea, I guess. Um, We wanted to showcase and also tell First Nations story of people living with a disability and also talking to I guess you know service providers so they can offer that help out to people living remote and also for people here in Cairns and also in regional um, places to um, offer advice and also get get a chance for people to kind of tell their story um, about the struggles um, about some of the things that they had to face and um, what help or advice they can give to other family that may be struggling or maybe going through that same thing that, that that's happening with their life. And I think, you know, for people that's wanting to tell their story, you know, they know now that there is a platform for them um, so they can, you know, be able to share their story and um, I guess, you know, give voice to the voiceless where they just want to be heard. Bernard himself has lived experience of disability. While recovering from a severe case of meningitis that put him into a coma, he had to learn to walk and talk again. There was a time there that you were a wheelchair user, you know, mm. just like my son, just like many Australians. What did that teach you about the world, your time in a wheelchair? Just to be patient. Like you could be, because I was traveling out across communities. I was traveling across uh, floodplains. I was uh, driving across country, you know, I was doing all these things. And then it kind of had a pause in my life where I had to 
start from the beginning. And I guess it taught me how precious, I guess, life is, that anything can happen to anybody um, in the blink of an eye. And um, I guess it taught me uh, more about this sector, because I think I had, I, well, I had the help with um, people uh, just with navigating through um, the system over in the Northern Territory because of my work. Yes. Uh, but I feel for the families uh, that don't know. And um, that was like, you know, back back when I did my recovery and uh, I'd lucky I had the help and support from my work colleagues. Yeah, it's so important to have support when you're navigating a new system. You actually sort of uprooted your life to help your family navigate the NDIS. Can you tell me about this? What happened there? Uh, yeah, so my little brother had uh well he he's got rheumatic hearts and uh there was a time where uh yeah we went through a rough patch and he had to be flown made it back down to townsville uh before prior to that i had no knowledge just the basic knowledge i guess you know to do or with ndis like but that is only through radio broadcasting and whatever segments that i have on my show that to do with NDIS. That's the only, I guess, you know, contact that I had back yeah. then. And um, when the incident happened to my brother, it was like, well, I use this hashtag, like a new beginning with any post that I have in uh, Far North Queensland, because it is our new beginning, because it's with coming into this world where it's like new to us. And, the thing that I found here in far north Queensland was uh, people assume that you know about NDIS and they don't let you uh, ask questions or give you time to kind of dwell on things that they've said. Um, I think they assume that we, we know and understand, but that wasn't the case. Um, my brother lives in a, in a um, house here in Cairns. So it's disconnecting him from culture and family. All my families are on Thurs Island. Mm. So I had to make the move from Darwin to Cairns to be that support for family when they come down so they have a place to stay. It'll take me a while to understand this whole NDIS. And I could see the frustration and stress uh, with my mum being um, like English is the second language for my mum. Uh, and not having like them breaking it down like, that's the thing that we still need to kind of have more understanding about because it only happened to him last year. So this is kind of all new to us. So we're kind of like um, uh, finding out as we go along. The reason why I, I came into this industry is a, a worker from Queensland Health um, uh, here in Cairns um, kind of forced my mom into signing a form that she didn't understand. Yeah. It was in a it was in a setting, in a cafe at the hospital here in Cairns, and there there was no privacy. And she was trying to like force my mom to sign a form before the deadline. And I kind of came in to the picture right timing, and I said to my mom, "You don't have to sign that form if you don't feel comfortable, because you don't know what you're signing." She has a deadline to get this form in by, and you don't. You need more information you need 
at least uh, a, you know indigenous liaison officer here at the hospital to talk you through because she's assuming that you know this world, but you don't, and this is all new. Uh, the reason why I spoke up because if my mom would have signed that form, um, I'm not sure what right she would sign for my brother. Uh, so I kind of stepped in and um, yeah, and I think with with that process, like trying to like bombard you with NDIS what packages, and then you have a lot of other organization that comes through you, and you're trying to be there for your. I'm trying to be there for my mom and siblings because trying to be strong for them and then them trying to like taking all this information in. And I'm, I'm, look, I'm looking at my mama like, nah, she, there's no way that she's taking in all this information. Yeah. yeah. It's so much. It's so, it's so hard. And yeah, like you say, once you add language onto that, even more complex. I've spoken a bit with um, Tanika Davis, who has the I Am movement. She's wonderful. And she's told me there's issues around trust. There's issues around the scheme, not understanding like how families work in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, families, that it's just a completely different thing. What are some issues that you have either experienced yourself or seen that other families have experienced with the scheme? I think trust is one thing because you're talking about, so, so in my mom's case, like, um, having to discuss my brother's finance with people that she don't kind of know. Mm. Um, so trust. And also what I found is um, people back on the island, uh, back on Thursday Island, still don't have an understanding about NDIS. So I think what needs to happen is like, they um, need to get out more. And I think to uh, families and have like little information around the community about what they do, just what services they can provide to families. Because yeah, like I said, um, they assume that we know things before coming into this world, but we don't. But I think more information should be given out to people just so they can have better understanding about NDIS and what services um, they offer to people. Yeah, definitely. And to be honest, mm. Bernard, I think we could all do that. When you get on this scheme, no one comes and tells you what it is, how mm. it works, what services are available to you. But I think there also needs to be better services for your community, culturally appropriate services. I know there's been some progress. I saw a really good story in the ABC. I think it was in WA. There's a, a yarning group. Um, for mm. people with disabilities and that initiative seems to be going well. Are you seeing any positive progress like this in your area? I think here in Cairns, I, um, for this podcast, I interviewed uh, in that that'll be coming out in the next couple of episodes, but a young fellow from the Torres Strait wanted to uh, start up a service uh, to support family um, that, that, you know, come come down from the island to Cairns uh, to be that person to um, go with them to any appointments. So he started a support group uh, here in Cairns, um, just uh, focusing on families uh, from the Torres Strait Islands coming down uh, so they have somebody to talk to. And this young fella used to be with 
NDIS uh, here in Cairns and services branches uh, out of NDIS. So he kind of knows. So I think having support like First Nations um, support organization, uh, especially around NDIS that can um, explain things better for mob here in far north Queensland and so they can have a better understanding and so they can have trust with NDIS and what they do for their family that living with a disability. Yeah, 100%. There needs to be many, many, many more First Nations people actually working in the disability sector. Do you have hope for the NDIS and has it helped your family or do you think it's just caused more stress and confusion than needed to be there? I think I think at the start it was just a lot of stress and frustration, but as we kind of like uh, moved on from that, I've seen the progress that um, in my brother as well. Like he can, you don't rely on the wheelchair anymore. He can actually walk, and he's actually going out now and doing shopping with his partner. Uh, usually, I usually go and get some get his stuff, but I think with NDIS comes a lot of support attached to the service. Whereas um, that support services that attached to NDIS uh, was really a huge help for my brother um, and his journey to, I guess, recovery. What advice do you have for First Nations families who are raising a child or children with disability and who are new to the disability space? What would you say to them? I think one thing that I, um, from like, you know, my own experience is um, I know my mum wouldn't ask all the questions. Uh, when my brother had to, you know, sign up with NDIS. So we, as a family, siblings for my brother had to ask the questions, uh, making sure that mom has a clear understanding before they could, I guess, you know, ask the next question or just sign, sign a piece of paper, like make sure you ask a lot of questions first so you have a better understanding about um, what NDIS do for families. And... Um, yeah, just don't be afraid to, I guess, you know, go into their office and kind of talk to them one-on-one. Um, but asking questions, I think, is the best uh, advice that I would give because it happened like, yeah, that's, the, that's what happened to me and my family. A big thank you to Bernard for this chat. And if you'd like to hear more from him, tune into his fantastic new First People's Disability Network podcast, Yarning Disability, which I've linked in the show notes. You'll also find a link to Tanika Davis's The I Am Movement, which was mentioned in our chat. This is a platform that provides culturally safe resources for First Nations disability families. A big thanks also to Hira for supporting me in making this podcast, and I'll catch you again soon on NGIS Know How.